Welcome to Taking Notes with NextGen Venture Partners, where we have interesting conversations with entrepreneurs and innovators in the NextGen investing ecosystem. I'm your host, Dan Mindis. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. My guest today is John Duncan, the founder of Capital Point, uh, which provides policy analysis to institutional investors as well as to corporate executives. Capital Point has a focus on uh, technology companies in the technology industry, in addition to a handful of other industries. Uh, and John and I uh, talk about the threats to big tech coming out of Washington, D.C. John provides, I think, a great perspective and great analysis uh, for those conversations. Uh, he talks about what he thinks is going to happen going forward uh, in each of those areas. Uh, and his background is really well aligned uh, to provide uh, a viewpoint there. So John spent time on Capitol Hill. Uh, he spent time at the Department of Commerce, at the Department of Labor. But he also has a business hat, not only as a, the founder of a business, but also uh, a graduate of Harvard Business School, spent time at Microsoft. Um, so that he's really sitting at the intersection of these very interesting worlds and, and talks about these issues from the perspective of someone who might consider investing in these, uh, in these large tech companies, engaging with these large tech companies. Uh, it's a different way of thinking than what you see in the news that I think adds uh, a really important additional dimension to how we think about policy as it relates to the big tech companies. So John is a venture partner. He is uh, incredibly thoughtful, and I think you'll enjoy the conversation. John Duncan, thanks so much for joining me today. My pleasure. Happy to do it. John, let's talk about the risks facing the big technology companies arising out of Washington, D.C. Uh, we're talking in May of 2019. How do the risks compare today with 12 months ago? I would say that the level of focus politically and at a policy level it have intensified significantly. I think that as we can discuss, the likelihood of us seeing significant policy change is it an elevated level, but has not reached a level that I would consider likely on some of the big issues. But the intensification of interest has changed dramatically. The amount of time that policymakers are spending on this issue, the amount of activity that we see among stakeholder groups, the uh, level of attention in the political media around this issue have all intensified significantly. And I would say that that is the case because of broader underlying forces that are a function of both populist politics arising, economic dislocation, and then also to some degree, actually I'd say to a significant degree, industry rivalries and a desire on the part of some incumbent industries to focus greater scrutiny on some of the so-called big tech firms. So it's a phenomena that has intensified and it's, it's intensifying for reasons that are likely to make it lasting in nature. Well, let's start with that last point that you made, the incumbents uh, potentially driving some of this scrutiny of, of the big tech companies who may be disrupting their business models. Um, so flesh that out. What are some examples? I would say that one important example that has potential implications down the road, I would not say in the short term, but potentially down the road in the antitrust arena, would be concerns that the incumbent media, we'll call them um, particularly print newspapers have in the consolidation in the advertising market 
specifically surrounding Google and Facebook and what that has meant for both the distribution of news as well as the ability of newspapers to sell ads and the negotiating leverage that shifted in that marketplace. And there are calls now from those incumbent news organizations to use antitrust, changes in antitrust law to allow them to band together and negotiate more aggressively with Google, Facebook, and, and some of their peers. So that's one example. You know, another example that that I think would be worth pointing out more in the case of privacy would be a concern that, you know, we have seen on the part of a lot of broadband providers who are competing in many ways to the platform layer above them that to for the relationship with customers and a concern about the ability of those platforms to uh, utilize user data to their advantage and a fight that is a function of, I think, relationship with the customer, but manifesting itself in numerous ways, including in the privacy arena. So you see, in that case, differing levels of engagement and differing levels of desire in an effort to push forward on privacy regulation. Another interesting example, you know, when we use the term big tech, I think Everyone has, you know, a set of companies in mind, you know, that are obviously defined by their market cap and their presence within the technology industry. But I think that, you know, even big tech is not monolithic in nature. So, for example, and and I don't want to portray this necessarily as a conflict as much as a, you know, bifurcation in positions on things like privacy again. So you see. Microsoft, you see Apple taking a much different approach to how aggressively they're engaging and advocating for change in privacy regulation relative to what you may see in the case of a Google or a Facebook. And so there's even this, when we talk about incumbent industries versus big tech, it's possible, probably also relevant to describe some of the splits within, quote, big tech itself. And both of these splits really are propelling and fueling the dialogue that we're getting around some of these big issues that we're grappling with in Washington. So many ways we can take all of that, but let's get down to brass tacks on some of it. So I think folks will be familiar with Tim Cook at Apple criticizing Facebook and others uh, over privacy and Apple kind of carving out a position for itself as, as the advocate of privacy. But what's going on behind the scenes in Washington? I mean, is, is Apple funding lobbying efforts to create privacy regulations that may uh, harm Facebook? Are the you know, traditional cable companies and, and broadband firms, you know, funding those efforts as a sort of stealth attack on, you know, the the platforms like like a Google. You know, what's what's kind of happening that people outside of DC don't know about? Well, I think probably the best way to describe it is just to look at the behavior of the companies, not just in terms of what they're saying in the media, but what they're advocating for in various pieces of legislation and policy in Washington. And it is 
quite clear that, for example, you know, the Apples of the world or even the Microsofts for that matter have been much more forward leaning on numerous pieces of legislation that have been introduced on privacy uh, regulation. And frankly, even beyond just privacy, if you go back and you look at some of the fights on another critical issue on the level of liability that the internet platforms, the ad-based, content-based platforms, Google, Facebook, again, you know, the liability protections they enjoy and the potential to change those protections. You see firms like Microsoft, for example, being more forward-leaning in embracing change there than you would see from the Googles and Facebooks of the world. So I think the best way to answer your question is just look at their behavior and what they, how they have engaged, not just in terms of who's paying what lobbyists, but what those lobbyists for those companies and, and, and the companies themselves are supporting at a policy level. So it's it's quite clear from their behavior that, you know, there is, you could either call it lack of alignment among big tech firms, or you could potentially even call it conflict among big tech firms on numerous of these big issues, privacy, content, liability, and distribution. Why is, just as an example, why would Microsoft care and pay for activity on platform liability. So when I hear that, I imagine, you know, I say something on Twitter, I say something on Facebook that might put me, you know, maybe I libeled somebody, right? And so maybe I could have risk because of that. But now we're saying, okay, actually Facebook for not policing my comments might have some risk. Why would Microsoft care that Facebook has, has to deal with that? Why are they spending time and energy on it? I really honestly can only speculate. I mean, I suspect that there is a less business model sensitivity maybe in one case versus another and a, you know, when, whether it's a Microsoft or it's an Apple that wants to advocate for for the maximum consumer protection possible or in the case of, you know, the liability question, you know, I guess you could call it the maximum accountability uh, possible in terms of the type of content that's being posted. If you want to take as you know aggressive position as possible on that, and you are less constrained from a business model standpoint, you know, then that would lead you down the path to taking an aggressive position versus a company that wants to do you know the right thing by its customers but has greater business model sensitivity. So I am just inferring here from their behavior and sort of the nature of the companies that it's a it's just a difference in the business sensitivity that they have to these different policy questions. Let's go back to one of the earlier points you made, John, about how media companies have an interest in banding together to do some kind of collective bargaining with Facebook and Google. And it's certainly true that media companies' advertising models have been undermined to a large degree by those two companies in particular, Facebook and Google, which now you know, I think have the majority of, of the online advertising spend. My wife is a, a journalist and she tells me how incredibly dependent they are on Facebook and whatever policies and algorithms and, and pricing price points Facebook happens to, to conjure up. And so I can understand an instinct in media organizations to say, hey, those guys have too much power. Let's brush off, you know, antitrust law, which historically hasn't been used for this purpose. But, you know, let's let's put some pressure on. What you hear about in the media, though, when you think about antitrust as it as it applies to big tech, is breaking these guys up, breaking you know breaking up Amazon, breaking up you know Google, breaking up Facebook. 
uh, haven't heard so much about allowing for sort of a collective bargaining from a company perspective. But where, so where do you think this, this sort of new antitrust movement will actually end up? So I was using, in that example that I brought up, I was using a more targeted policy proposal. I mean, a substantial one, you know, but a more targeted one on the notion of giving newspapers the ability to band together to negotiate more effectively. I was using that as an example of this notion of intra-industry rivalry. But if you pull back, I think the better sort of what you're getting at is pulling back and saying, you know, you know, why are we hearing about and and how it, sort of much should we focus on these questions of, quote, breaking up some of these big firms. I absolutely agree that 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 is where the example I use is is important in a particular segment, but more targeted in nature. But the bigger debate in Washington, the one uh, that is occupying you know the time and attention of regulators and members of Congress and advocacy groups, is this question of just simply are these companies too big and do they have you know advantages that are that are unfair um, whether those relate to distribution whether they relate to the aggregation of data and you know these are these are questions that are arising really on both sides of the aisle you you, you see questions about this on the democratic side and more left-leaning stakeholder groups you see it a little bit on the right end of the spectrum not as much and you know, the, these are that really is sort of the core questions that are getting asked. You have now an administration, though, that is said very, you know, when faced with this issue and asked directly about it and pressed on it, you have an administration, you have regulators at the Department of Justice who've said pretty clearly that, you know, there may or may not be concentration issues within the big tech space, but we're going to look at those through the traditional lens of competition policy. The more novel questions around antitrust and whether or not there should be, you know, some policy response to the size and power of some of the big tech firms, the more novel theories, the more aggressive proposals to deal with it are coming generally from the left leaning into the spectrum. That's true among the the Democrats on the FTC. That's true in terms of the contrasting the Democratic heads of the antitrust committees in the House versus the Republican heads in the Senate. And it's true among you know the think tank community where you see a lot of think tanks on the left that are advocating for these more aggressive responses. So what? I mean, the reason that that matters is that if you're trying to sort of look forward and assess, you know, risks going forward, you know, the bigger antitrust risks are tightly related to the outcome of the next election. And if you have an election where, you know, there's a Democratic president who's more tightly aligned to these left-leaning advocacy groups or more tightly aligned to Democrats in Congress, then both at a regulatory level and potentially even a legislative level, we could start to see some of this aggressive approach to antitrust start to manifest itself. And some of the things that, you know, we hear about are, are, are not just break these companies up, which, you know, is some of it, but it's, you know, do we need to be considering not just 
competition and concentration within particular markets, but you know, do we should we be looking at the use of antitrust tools to address uh, you know alleged abuses around consumer data? So there's not just aggressiveness, but novel approaches that are being proposed to using antitrust law. But it's really more of a if coming into fruition is more a question for 2021. But it is time to be thinking about it now. So John, the way I understand antitrust law is historically the lens through which regulators look at it is, is the activity uh, of the businesses harming consumers, right? From a price perspective, from a choice perspective, from a quality perspective. And I think you'd look at what Google and Facebook and Amazon are doing. You say, well, it's you know, they're offering pretty good quality products at very at low prices. So the consumers are A-OK. The issue is, are other businesses being harmed? And, and if you want to use antitrust uh, law to address that, you have to come up with some novel theories. You have to sort of reinvent antitrust law. And there are Democratic presidential candidates who have come out sort of in favor of those ideas and have, ca- have called for breaking up big tech. So certainly uh, the upcoming election uh, will be really important. But I guess my, my question for, for you is, do you think that there, like, there is a genuine potential here of something something changing. Let's imagine a Democrat wins the White House in the upcoming election and where, where one or more of these companies might actually be forced to uh, do something really dramatic. I think in the context of a Democratic administration, yes, the potential rises uh, significantly and you know, to a point that it's something that analysts should be considering. It's something that, you know, investors should be considering, you know, is the probability high that we see a disruptive outcome from antitrust law for some of these companies, you know, under a democratic administration? I don't know that we can say that it's high, but is it elevated? Is it elevated to the point that, you know, we should, we should be taking it seriously? Yes. Um, And that's the case because, you have, I guess, maybe at three levels. One, you have a ability to act on this at a regulatory level. It's not necessary for Congress to act in order to take disruptive actions on antitrust. So the authority would exist. B, you have a level of motivation that's fairly clear from virtually all of the Democratic candidates. Now, there are there's a spectrum of intensity of interest in this antitrust question across the Democratic field, and there's an interesting divergence, for example, between, you know, the Elizabeth Warrens of the world who's saying break up big tech versus the Cory Bookers of the world who's saying, well, maybe we should be, you know, a little bit more careful about how we move in that direction. But you certainly, even in Booker's case or even in the remainder of the field, case, you have a motivation level that's pretty clear. So that's the sort of second big condition. And then the third and important one is that I'm sure you could probably tell me or, or we could find, you know, data that would demonstrate, you know, how satisfied customers are with the products that they use these and, and services that they use that these companies provide. You know, there is a political outside the beltway constituency that is propelling this interest in antitrust. And and it's true at the level of interest groups. It's true at the level of activists. And, you know, it's true at the level of thought leaders. And so we have a lot of the ingredients in place 
that would suggest that you know the level of risk around antitrust does rise you know as we get into the if we were to get to a democratic administration that, that's super interesting to me i think personally it's kind of hard to imagine a world where amazon or google were broken up but uh, i guess it's time to uh, start imagining uh, let's let's turn to another policy issue and I'd love to get your sense of you know, the likelihood of something happening, and that's regulation with regard to privacy. So I, I remember maybe a year ago, maybe two years ago, Mark Zuckerberg saying, look, don't regulate Facebook, because if you do, that will actually entrench Facebook. Facebook has the, the lawyers and the wherewithal to comply with whatever regulations that might come down, but the startups won't. And so actually, you'll entrench Facebook as a monopoly. And I don't think that's fair. And I don't think that's right. At least that was the message that I heard from Zuckerberg. Mm -hmm. Today, you know, fast forward, you know, 12 months, he's saying regulate us. Now, I guess with, uh, with, with the CEO of Facebook saying something like that, what, what do you think is going to happen uh, with privacy regulations? And, and how, will you, how will that affect, you know, Facebook and Google at the top of the list? Well, that's a much more tactical question and tangible sort of issue to deal with than the sort of broader longer term question we're just discussing around antitrust. So I can I can be fairly specific in my view on this one. And I think the bottom line in terms of my expectation and the expectation of those that I survey fairly rigorously in Washington is that we will get a significant advancement in the legislative process on privacy legislation, but it will not be enacted into law. And that's the case that it's advancing because you see interest in the issue on both the left and the right on Capitol Hill and off Capitol Hill, and because of you know some of these issues that we discussed earlier in terms of intra-industry interest and seeing some of this legislation around privacy move forward. But the reason that the, the big barrier at a policy level is that you have industry, which I'm going to sort of define just broadly, the technology industry who's saying now, okay, fine, you know, we think it's uh, we're willing to embrace a greater regulatory burden. We're willing to work with Congress on legislation, but we think that what's important is that if we're going to comply with some new federal standard, then we should have that federal standard should preempt the emerging standards in various states. And that's the 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 deal that the industry is looking for. The activists, the generally more left-leaning elements of the policy ecosystem are not so concerned – well, they're actually concerned uh, in a negative way. They don't want federal preemption. They don't want any dilution of what's possible at the state level, and if they were to embrace it, then they would insist upon very high consumer protection standards. And reconciling that that difference between the industry position of, okay, we'll embrace some level of regulation, but we need to have preemption, and then the other side, which is saying, we don't really want to see preemption, but if we do, we've got to have a very high standard associated with the new requirements. It's just going to be too hard to reconcile those two positions between now and the next election. And that's where – and we'll really see that break down 
as the legislative stop process starts to advance. So we're going to see some developments here in the relative near term. Here we are in May of 2019. I think within the coming months, we're going to start to see some bipartisan activity around this issue in the Senate um, and some visibility around this issue in the Senate. But the process is going to start to bog down. The conflict I'm highlighting is going to start to bog the process down at that stage. So it's going to be difficult to advance from the committee level consideration into the full Senate consideration and the degree to which the House moves forward on this, it's going to be very hard to reconcile the House's more left-leaning position with the Senate's more industry consensus position. And so that's where we're going to sort of end, which is going to get us you know, likely into the end of this year, maybe early next. And then it's going to be a question as to where to go from there is going to be a question that's going to be teed up for the next election. And a lot of, which is a natural part of the democratic process, you know, a lot of big conflicts like this are, are really left up to elections. And, you know, the next administration, whether it be the second term of the Trump administration or whether it be a democratic administration, you know, is going to be left with the task of pushing forward to complete this process. But at least in the near term, I think that, you know, it's it's going to be a significant advancement, but but sort of ending at that interim stage. Now, that's an interesting kind of political science discussion, but why does any of that matter in the relative near term? Well, I think we're already seeing that it does matter. And given all the concern from policymakers in Washington and in states and around the world, you know, given the interests in, in privacy that we've seen from activists, the companies are uh, taking steps themselves to respond. And so in many respects, you know, we've already seen many of the effects of this policy debate manifest itself in the steps that Google, Facebook, and others are taking to, you know, evolve the, the services that they provide their customers. I guess we'll have to revisit this after the uh, 2020 election. John Duncan, yeah. thanks so much for joining me today. Sure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Taking Notes with NextGen Venture Partners. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. To learn more about us or to hear all of our past podcasts, please go to nextgenvp.com. And now for some important disclaimers. The information contained in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to purchase any securities. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Any performance or projections contained herein may be significantly affected by future events. Any opinions, assumptions, assessments, statements, or the like regarding future events or which are forward-looking constitute only subjective views and beliefs, should not be relied on, and are subject to change due to a variety of factors, including fluctuating market conditions and economic factors.